We're X-Men. No, you're X-People. You're exhausting. I see what you did there. Puns. This is the 13 Days of X-Men. Welcome to the 13 Days of X-Men, Monkey Off My Backlog's second annual holiday limited series. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is the Yukio to my Negasonic Teenage Warhead, Tessa. Hello! Joining us on this epic journey through puns, jokes, and meta-references is friend of the pod, Jack. Hello! Hello. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Last year, because movie marathons are a holiday tradition for us, we watched nine Fast and Furious movies and released nine podcast episodes over nine days. This time, we're raising the stakes by watching the 13 movies in the Fox X-Men series. Today, we're talking about Deadpool 2, the movie where Fox pretends that everything is fine. Nothing to see here, except this movie. Please see this movie. We let him swear more in this one. Jack, what are you looking forward to this holiday season? My wife and I are hosting Christmas with family for the first time, so we're pretty excited about that. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure. What what does this... uh, what are the special features of your holiday hosting? Just people coming to Charlotte. Also, my wife is pregnant, so getting ready for the fact that there's going to be an addition to the family. Do you have Christmas traditions that you do as a family every year or things that you've done with your wife since you got married? Anything like that? We generally have Christmas music on and try to watch a couple Christmas movies. Starting last year, I think we're putting Muppets Christmas Carol in, in a annual rotation. Otherwise known as the best Christmas Carol. I do really love it. I don't know. As somebody who has not seen the Muppet Christmas Carol, I do have to hard disagree because Mickey's Christmas Carol. I haven't seen Mickey's you have. We watched it together. This is like a Five Guys thing, was except it a, really happened. Is this a fever dream of mine? Like... No, it's happened since Disney Plus, so it wasn't that long ago. Although, I, I do believe Christmas of 2019 was not a fun one for you. But so anyway, is The Muppet Christmas Carol the best Christmas movie of all time? That I don't know if I can say. There's lots of good options. I don't know what my favorite one is. Let me put it to you this way. Isn't Love Actually the best holiday movie? That is a take that some people agree with. And I think I part of me thinks The Holiday is a better one if we're going British mid-2000s. Take that, Love Actually. Holiday is a better Christmas movie. You know, actually, I, I this will not be in the pod because it was on the last one. But uh, when we were talking to Lazi about it, he said the reason the holiday is so good is because Jude Law is daddy. He is so, daddy. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I, okay. All right. I've got napkins here to practice, Mr. 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 Napkinhead. <laughs> were there any other uh, Christmas movies that you watched as a kid that you look forward to sharing with your child? I'm a little scared to introduce them to Home Alone. Yeah, I wouldn't do that until maybe much later. Yeah. Yes. 
which I never watched Home Alone as a kid. So and look how you and look out. how I turned out. But no. I mean, we always watched The Grinch, though, like no. the old animated Boris Karloff narrated. Chuck Jones animated. Yeah. 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 yeah, that was always a good one. Yeah. Uh, it's think. a Wonderful Life. Watched a yep. lot of that as a kid. That's a solid one. White Christmas. Yep. That's one I need to. I haven't watched in, since I was probably a teenager. That definitely needs to be rewatched. Die Hard? Is that a, Die is Hard's that a Christmas classic. movie? <laughs> My wife definitely tries to fight like, Die Hard as a Christmas movie, but she will learn one day. <sighs> we're having this ongoing discussion because as, as we're coming to the end of our second annual whatever this is, it's time to decide what the third annual whatever this is will be because we announced that we were going to do this at the end of the Fast and Furious limited series. So we talked about this on Deadpool, uh, the first episode. So by the time everybody else hears this, you know, we'll be a little bit farther along. Probably will have mentioned this on Twitter, but here's a chance for you to weigh in because, and, and I'm bringing this up because we were talking about, is the next one going to be a franchise Christmas movie related or like an auteur approach, right? Um, we talked about, we actually talked about how the auteur monkey episode started because of you and Tessa. And we've, of course, since then we've had a P.T. Anderson. We'll have another one in January. That'll be fun. So we were thinking about, well, we could do that. What we could do, we could do like a Hitchcock, right? Or we could do, you know, Christmas movies the other hasn't seen before. Or Christmas movies that by all rights aren't Christmas movies, but they take place at Christmas. Or, is that another franchise? And Die Hard is technically two of those. And and I think Andy was the one a while ago, he suggested it. And I'm like, yeah, but four and five are trash fires. I don't want to watch those. And Taz is like, we're watching these X-Men movies. I'm like, yeah, but that was your choice. <laughs> that was a lot of information. Speaking of Paul Thomas Anderson, Phantom Thread is a holiday movie. That's that right. True. I saw, yes. I, I noticed that that discourse was occurring. Yes. Are there uh, any Wong Kar Wai movies that are holiday? Uh, oh, 2046. Dear. Yeah. Yeah. 21st, yep. Christmas is in their hearts all year round in those movies. The Green Knight is also a very yeah. much a Chris- Christmas movie. There you go. Yep. Because the Green Knight asks if he wants to play a Christmas game. Yep. That's you right. say yes. It really shouldn't have said yes. <laughs> I mean, it's like... I think the first line of the movie, or like the first scene line, is that Christ has indeed been born so you when you when you when you talked about the christmas game thing i was thinking about scream you know like do you want to play a game no hangs up phone calls cops <laughs> that movie however definitely does not begin with the story of christ no it does not there's black christmas though which is a slasher that's true also silent night deadly night if you can find it yeah christmas you guys it's not just for jingle bells and House switching and Hugh Grant as prime minister, which I mean, like, seriously, if a prime minister was going to resign over a huge, terrible scandal that happened last Christmas, this would be a great time because Hugh Grant could just tag in. <laughs> it's the time. Of, yeah. Think about it, you guys. Did you not see the Twitter discussion about Hugh Grant? And- I did. I did. Yes. That discourse has been wild yesterday because everybody since yesterday, because everybody thought that you know, Boris Johnson might 
resign. Although I really want to say, I, I actually want to correct this on the record because I was I was editing the first episode we did with Lazi. And I just want to say, Lazi, if you're out there, the version of Jump in Love Actually is the original Pointer Sisters version. Girls Aloud did do a cover that they, you know, in the music video intercuts scenes from the movies, but it is not that song in the movie, I assure you. We're talking about a lot about music today, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. But let's let's start with a a very I wanna I wanna start with a much easier question to get us warmed up to talk about this episode. Is this movie any good? I personally I remember seeing it in theaters and minus one very crucial plot point that we will be discussing. I've had a lot of fun watching it and rewatching it for this podcast. As I'm not always the biggest Brian Reynolds fan, but his version of Deadpool is a character I always that always finds a way to make crack me up. That was your easy question. Is this movie any good? Yeah. Not, is it? Yeah, I think it's good, but it has significant problems that the first did not have to deal with. Let's talk about some of those problems. Let's talk about... By the way, I just, I just want to say, not growing up as somebody without a comic book background, we talk about fridging a lot. To me, fridging is the episode of Punky Brewster where her friend is like they're playing outside and there's like this old refrigerator and her friend like gets locked in it and almost dies. That's what I think of. That's what I think of. And if you say it's not that, I'm like, oh, you mean nuking the fridge, the the short-lived replacement for jumping the shark based on Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull when he hides in a fridge to avoid being nuked, which totally worked. Yeah. But that's not what this means. No. Tessa, what is fridging again? Didn't we just talk about this in Apocalypse when I we were talking, again, something. talking about with Lazzie about fridging without getting into the whole history of it because Lazzie did such an excellent job talking about it on that episode. Fridging a character, especially a female character, is when a female character is introduced and is used solely, is killed, or there's some form of violence enacted upon her solely to progress a male character's storyline and not to progress her storyline at all. So in this movie, we get actually two for the price of one fridgings in this movie because Vanessa, who was introduced in the first movie, was played by um, Marina Baccarin. Marina, I couldn't remember her first name, Marina Baccarin. She is fridged at the beginning of this movie. She's killed by one of Deadpool's marks, I guess, one of the gangsters that he's going after in the first part of this movie. And that drives him the rest of the movie because he's trying to commit suicide. He's trying to figure out what the meaning of life is. We actually get another fridging, but the fridging we is so not important to this movie that it doesn't even make it into the movie for most of it. We just see its after effects, which is Cable's wife and daughter dying in the future which spurs him to go back in time to kill oh god what is his name fire fire fist <laughs> is that really his name right. to go kill the child version of the person who killed them that is his name that is his name fire fist and the only reason we learned the name of cable's daughter because deadpool asked him at one point like what was what's your daughter's name and he's like hope the only reason we learned that is that that's supposed to be an easter egg for diehard comic book fans not because she as a character deserves a name it's just so we know, oh, yeah, that's Hope Summers. That's like a comic book shout out. That is literally the only reason her name is given to us here. So, 
yeah, the fridging in this film is not great. What did you think about this aspect of the film, Jack? I hated it, and I hated the response by the writers when they were asked about it, when they basically said they had never even heard of the term, which is wild. Pick up a comic book. Like, God, this 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 was formed in response to comic books, to a Green Lantern comic specifically. Yeah. Wait, are you telling me that Ryan Reynolds, one of the three writers on this film, didn't know what fridging was? And I know what you're thinking. He wasn't the writer asked, I'm sure. But a fan of Green Lantern wouldn't tell the other two guys, oh, hey, guys, you know what you're doing, right? <laughs> I don't know if he is a fan of Green Lantern. He literally Ooh. killed Ryan Reynolds to Green Lantern. Oh, okay, okay. He killed that version of Ryan Reynolds that loves Green Lantern. Yeah, and and that brings me to my next point. <laughs> Under the, is this movie any good category? I like how we're like, yes, but here are all the bad things about it. It does a very bad thing. And then it plays fast and loose with time travel. You can do a lot to justify a movie in my eyes. You can do a lot wrong and still get it right, but one of the things you cannot do is play fast and loose with time travel. And Tessa, we had a very long conversation about the fact that the time travel in this movie is bad. Can I point out it's not even time travel? He calls it time shifting, but it's not just time. It's time and universe, right? We have already established so Days of Future Past gives us the, the causal loop timeline, right? When Wolverine goes back and changes the past and his consciousness blinks into another Wolverine's consciousness, so he commits murder of himself, blue blah, blah blah but we're invited to think there's only one universe, one timeline, right? Well, of course, at the end of this movie, as, as, as Jack just alluded to, He goes back to part of a timeline that no longer exists, which means we are not on a single timeline causal loop system. We are now doing quantum time travel, meta fourth wall breaking quantum time travel, which means it's not time travel. It's universe hopping. So they couldn't even get that right. Did this bother you as much as the fridging, Jack? No, I didn't think so. Jack, how do you feel about time travel narratives? Clearly, Sam has a lot of opinions. I'd like to know your opinions. I think about them a lot. Uh, Time travel is one of my favorite genres of content, but clearly I do not think about it in the same way Sam does. Did you have any thoughts about the Cable storyline, like what he's doing in this film? I mean, because it's really asking us the question which is actually funnily enough alluded to in the extended cut. Like, is it ethical to go back in time and kill a baby version of an evil person. For some reason, I mean, what happens to Cable's family bothered me, but the like rest of Cable's plotline did not bother me as much in terms of him trying to kill Firefist. And like, I kind of, since I knew he was never going to succeed, I don't feel like it got under my skin as much as the frigid aspect of this story. And it's fair. I always wondered why does it have to be this time? Like that's I think that's my main complaint about the time travel. Like why couldn't it have been a later time? Like after he started already killing people. Like cuz Cable says that when you go the farther back you go in time, the more unstable it is. Whatever that means. Yeah, I guess maybe he wanted to get him at the first time when he 
was about to kill someone. Yeah, I, I guess that's my question, is that, like, I don't understand completely the logic of why it has to be this moment in time. Like, it, in Days of Future Past, I got it because they were like, this is the moment when this happened. We can, like, do a little circle around it, right? Like, Mystique killing him is this I'm trying moment. to remember the scene, but, I mean, it seemed like he might have actually killed, like, a doctor if the X-Men didn't show up or the knockoff X-Men. <laughs> so here's another question for you was it a mistake on fox's part to not give deadpool what he wanted which was actual more mutants other than colossus and negasonic teenage warhead in the x-mansion should we have seen outside of that one just one split second should we have seen more mutants or is this a better joke? Um, we did see more in the X-Force. Do you not remember all the great characters that had very long scenes that we all remember beyond one scene? And we will talk about the X-Force soon. So you are on record as saying that the X-Force and the amount of screen time they received satiated your desire to see any of the core X-Men as briefly spotted in this movie. Because, again, because having seen the first one, I did never expected to see more than what we did see with them. And I enjoyed that tease of seeing them. I think I would like to one day see Deadpool with other characters, but I think what we got in the scene fit the movie. Tessa, was it a good joke or a disappointment? I mean, I think I know what you're going to say about this joke, and I kind of agree with you. I loved this joke. Like, the the moment he's in the X-Mansion, and he's complaining to Colossus about how he never sees any other X-Men, and then we see Beast closing the door behind him, and all the other X-Men are... It's Cyclops, Storm, Jean Grey, Nightcrawler, Quicksilver, and Professor X that we see yes, in and, the... Yeah. And Beast, obviously, closing right. the door. yeah. So I think that's who we see in this scene. You pointed out, Sam, this would have been a funnier joke if we had seen Deadpool in the next movie, like the other side of that scene. Like if we had had them like having a meeting in the X-Mansion and we saw like Deadpool in the background, I think that was a wasted opportunity on their part. But yeah, I don't know. I think if it was, if these were MCU movies, we would have, but because Fox is kind of a mess. That's a really good point. I just, I love how they're like, no, Dark Phoenix is a serious movie. People die. Mm-hmm. Anyway. You gotta get gritty. All right, so so the, the last point I want to make here under is this movie good? There are three versions of this movie. There's the theatrical cut, the super duper unrated extended cut, and Once Upon a Deadpool. Which is a Christmas movie. It is. Which of these have you seen, Jack? I've seen the theater cut and whatever cut was on H- on Hulu, which I don't know which version that is. Okay, so quick question. At the yeah. end of the movie, does he? how much time does he spend with baby Hitler? No time. Okay, you saw the theatrical okay. cut again. Gotcha. <laughs> What's really interesting about this is so um, a couple of years ago at Christmas, they re-released Deadpool uh, retitled as Once Upon a Deadpool. It was downgraded to a PG-13 because most of the extreme violence was cut and most of the language was cut or bleeped 
the hook is that this is a ripoff of The Princess Bride where Deadpool ties up Fred Savage and forces him to listen to the story that is Deadpool 2. We were going to watch this version along with the Super Duper extended unrated cut so that we could talk about both. Oddly, it is it is near impossible to find in terms of just streaming. You can still purchase it as far as I know, but it seems to have disappeared from streaming. Weird. That's weird. Yeah. I have a question for you but about why, or a comment, I guess, why this movie is good, in that I think this is the uh, superior Celine Dion song for a uh, movie. Mm. Mm. Man, that James Bond intro is is good, and especially after the the tragedy that is No Time to Die. And I don't mean that No Time to Die is a tragedy. I mean it's a tragedy they ever made that movie. <laughs> it was nice to go out of 2021 with a good remembrance of what James Bond has given us. Thank you, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Yes, I think this is a better song than My Heart Will Go On. Yes, I think I Ashes. No, But is it, but is it, okay, okay, I'll grant you that. But is it better than the Jim Steinman penned It's All Coming Back to Me Now? No. What about Where Does My Heart Beat Now? Mm, I would have to think on that one. Okay. All right. Uh, no further questions. <laughs> <laughs> Are those the only Celine Dion songs I can think of? No, but it's the only ones I'm going to ask about. Where Does My Heart Beat Now is a much better song than it should be. I don't know what to say. I feel like this song missed a Bonnie Tyler opportunity. Like, speaking of Jim Steinman, there should have been something from his oeuvre in that movie, and I'm really thinking Bonnie Tyler. Total Eclipse of the Heart? Wouldn't that have worked? I mean, there was air supply, wasn't there? Wasn't there air supply in this movie? Didn't they play I'm All Out of Love in this one? I believe so. Yeah. That's not Jim Steinman. It's uh, making love out of nothing at all. Anyway, Vanessa immediately dies. That was a good segue. I actually got there. Vanessa immediately dies, and Deadpool tries to kill himself, which, you know, that's not going to work. And Colossus drags his desiccated husk of would-be corpse to the X-Mansion. I mean, fridging it... Okay, hold on. But fridging aside, that's not bad exposition to a movie. Despite my dislike for the fridging, it did give what I think is one of the best jokes of the movie, which is when Deadpool is sitting on the bar stool at the bar that T.J. Miller weasel, I guess, bartends at, and he says... George Michael was right. I really will never dance again, <laughs> which is like one of my favorite. That, what are we going to do, do without him? Do without him? Yeah, that, that is like one of my favorite moments in this film is that scene with him on the bar stool talking yeah. about George Michael and Careless Whisper, which of course is a, it's a callback to the previous movie, but it also is just a very funny joke in its own right. Did you enjoy Sad Deadpool? I did. Also, <laughs> I also enjoyed all the Vogan comments that about being sad and (laughs) and how Logan ripped off the first movie. Yep. Yeah. 
I have this. This is like the word salad part of the movie that I don't care anything about. So I'm just going to hand it to you, Tessa. After I say, this could be like a line from Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. Essex Mutant Re-Education Center, Fire Fist, Icebox, Watergate, Punk Rock. I don't know. It's just like, it's a bunch of word salad words that I don't actually care about at all. Like, I don't care what Essex is. That's, that's not something I care about. The Mutant Re-Education Center and the Icebox might be things from the comics. I assume that they are. Fire Fist, I, like, they made a mutant MacGuffin. Good for them. Is this anything to somebody who actually reads comic books? I find this to be really weird because this franchise kept teasing us with Mr. Sinister. And this is another Mr. Sinister tease. Essex Corporation is Mr. Sinister's corporation. I don't know why. I cannot for the life of me figure out why the Mutant Reeducation Center is under Essex Corp. Because all we're really given for... Any kind of explanation for this center is that it's being run by like a religious right wing person who thinks that he can pray the gay away, which is a very like LGBTQ plus conversion therapy type of storyline. But that has nothing to do with Mr. Sinister at all. Like Mr. Sinister as a villain is much more interested in Darwinism and in creating like the perfect mutant, which is why explains why he's obsessed with Jean Grey and Scott Summers and them having a baby. I guess maybe that's why it's teased here is because Cable is the the son of a Jean Grey clone and Scott Summers, which we talked about in X-Men Apocalypse. So maybe they were trying to be cute here. But the problem with it is, is that they're being too cute because Cable isn't being given the same backstory in this movie that he is in the comics. And so it doesn't make a lot of sense if you're trying to put this together within a comic book context. But it doesn't matter, like you said. Like if we're if we're not reading too far into the Mr. Sinister aspect of it, really these are just plot points, right? Like the Mutant Reeducation Center exists so that way Firefist can be this troubled teen who's been tortured, who is lashing out with his power, right? Who's sort of on the precipice of becoming this villain. And that gets us to the icebox, which is where a lot of the driving action happens. The icebox is from the comics, however. Which just goes to tell you that comic books really don't know what to do with villains, right? All they ca- The only paradigm they really have for them is, oh, well, they're bad, so I guess we should put them in prison because this is a book for children and we're not just going to kill them? Maybe? What do you do with villains in comic books? I'm trying to think. Phantom Zone. Yeah. Phantom yes. Zone? I mean, that's just yeah, another prison. Thinking. Yeah. I don't know. What did you think about this setting up of the plot of this part of the movie jack i think it set up some interesting i think it was there for gags purposes so it did also give us the juggernaut so it did move the plot along but i feel like it was mostly there for odd gags and jokes about prison culture yeah that kind of made me uncomfortable this is their second attempt at juggernaut though yes All right, you want to talk about Juggernaut? Fine, let's talk about Juggernaut, because none of this matters. You know, the the, the knock on the first Deadpool movie is it has no plot, it just has jokes. And they're like, fine, you want a plot? Here's a plot. Whatever. Juggernaut is credited as himself, but we know it's not. There's no real Juggernaut. Mutants aren't real. There's no such thing as mutation. That's a fiction. But we know that Benny Jones 
former soccer hooligan Minnie Jones, was the first juggernaut. And I just want to give a shout out to Ryan Reynolds and crew for giving a little unknown upcoming actor named Ryan Reynolds a shot at playing Juggernaut. What do you guys think about Ryan Reynolds' debut film role? What do you think about, does this kid have a future based on his role as Juggernaut? I, def- I think it was a solid first attempt, but I'd be curious to see what he does next, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've heard tell of some sort of sitcom set at like a pizza parlor. I don't know. I think maybe, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Tessa, what did you think about newbie Ryan Reynolds? I mean, it was fine. It's the, it's the same thing that we talked about with Colossus as well. Like, it's a good take on the character, but at the end of the day, it's CGI with a voice actor, right? CGI like, fight. yeah, it's a C- I mean, there's a big CGI fight in this film between Colossus and Juggernaut, especially. These are just, I mean, and it's comic books, right? Like, sometimes in comic books, you just got a big guy who can, like, really mess stuff up and that's what juggernaut is i do like the little like wink at the fact that he's professor x's brother in the film where he's like oh where russell's like oh like so you wear your helmet so your brother can't read your mind and he's like oh yeah but he's in a wheelchair so you know so yeah we we get this we get this little wink at that part of the character but yeah i also really enjoyed the music the juggernaut's musical cue is a great musical cue i I don't know if I, did I notice that the first time I watched it because I feel like I noticed it for the first time. I did while what? watching this. What is it? The the choir in the background going oh, like yeah, yeah, Juggernaut, yeah. holy sh! Like, yeah, that was good. That's true. <laughs> it's a good it's a good musical cue. So we also have another first time actor inhabiting a a much larger role, and I I think it's interesting after after everything that's happened because. I just, we're going to talk about this in a, in a little bit, but the number two movie, so I'll just do a little preview of Uncanny Stats. Deadpool 2 did debut at number one, but it was second to Avengers Infinity War. And I think that this is the first time, correct me if I'm wrong, Tessa, Jack, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the first time that a fictional character from the second highest grossing movie in the box office plays a character in the first highest grossing. I am talking about Thanos, who makes his big screen debut as Cable. What did we think about Thanos' Cable? A lot of makeup, I imagine. So I'm not as familiar with like the comic book versions of Cable, but I thought he was good. He definitely kind of looked like what I've seen of the character in other depictions. So, and considering some of the other actors they were thinking, I think Josh Brolin looked more like the part. So I think, thought he was good. I thought you were going to, until you said that he was also in Avengers, I thought you were talking about the unknown actor Dickie Greenleaf that makes an appearance. You're right. He looks a lot like Cable, but he looks like a more... I, I struggle with the word realistic in this particular role, but like he looks a little bit more like a realistic cable than perhaps the comics because the comic book cable is pretty. I'm trying to think of a good word to describe him, but he has like white hair and he's probably about three times the size of Joss Brolin in this movie. And so, like, I'm glad that they like went with a more like scaled down version of the character in that sense. But I, I liked 
he looks like Cable. Like you said, he's got the, the glint in his eye that we see every once in a while. He has the arm, the cybernetics. I really love the scene where he's taking apart all the guns and putting them together into a super gun. You know, the... I the my only real complaint about him in this movie is that like even though it follows he and Deadpool's relationship follows a pretty classic enemies to lovers, enemies to allies type type <laughs> uh, uh probably what Wade wants. Yeah, it's probably what Wade wants, but uh it, it follows like a pretty simple trajectory in terms of like they they're against each other because they have conflicting goals and then they have a similar goal and so they get they team up to get, you know, do the thing. I really wish that be, that we could see a movie where they're just like doing stuff together, like where they're going on adventures together and we could see more of the development of their relationship because in the comics, they have such a special, like Nathan Summers cable does not think that Deadpool is his best friend, but Deadpool thinks that cable is his best friend. And so Spider-Man. Yeah. So there's, there's like a really cool dynamic there where it's like cable is trying to pretend that he doesn't care about Deadpool and Deadpool is just like, you care about me, you know? And so there's like, there's a lot of like the sort of comedy duo, like straight man and, uh, and wacky character type of hijinks in, in the comics. And I really wish we would have seen more of that. We get a little bit of it, but not as much as I would have liked. Well, there's always the rumor of Deadpool three, so there's still a chance. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. We'll also talk about why Tim Miller departed from this film. But I will say for now, Tim Miller wanted to go in a different direction for Cable. And as much as I want all of the Friday Night Lights alum to do well, I wish Taylor Kitsch had had a better go as Gambit. I do not see Kyle Chandler as Cable. Like, at all. Sorry, coach. It's not going to work for me. So, I think Brolin was a much better choice. All right, fine. We do get another group of of mutants. We do get the X-Force. The X-Force is comprised of Domino, Bedlam, Shatterstar, Zeitgeist, Peter, and the Vanisher. My next note is... The X-Force exit. (laughs) So that's enter the X-Force, exit the X-Force. It does not go well for them. Somebody take a shot. Tell me about the casting, the character choice, their sudden but inevitable death, or their inevitably sudden death. I don't know. I think that this whole thing between the recruitment of them all to their deaths was probably the best part of the movie and maybe you guys would probably be able to say better than me but probably the in the top five greater scenes in the whole fox franchise it was a good bit it was definitely a callback to days of future past all that was missing was hugh jackman going in and ryan reynolds going no like you know you get it it'd be a callback see if you're going to do callbacks, at least do them right. That's all I'm saying. We'll talk about Domino in a minute because we actually care about her. But of course, we've got Terry Crews as Bedlam. We've got Pennywise the Clown as Zeitgeist. We have Brad Pitt as the Vanisher. <laughs> no. I mean, these are good jokes, right? These are solid. I think at one point, Brad Pitt was going to be Cable too. So that's why he was connected to it. Uh-huh. Well, hey, 
he was not the only Ocean's Eleven to show up in this movie, of course. But but Tessa, what was your take on these? You're talking uh, about Dickie Greenleaf. I loved this, but I do have a question for you all. Who did it better? David Litch in this movie or James Gunn in the first 20 minutes of Suicide Squad, the second movie? Wow. That's something to think about. See, here's the thing. I don't think it's really fair to compare them because they're both playing it for laughs. But the way James Gunn plays things for laughs is such like a straight face. Like he's doing it with us. He's like, this is funny. But he's dead eyeing you the whole time. He's like daring you to laugh. Right. Because that those scenes at the beginning are so like, you know, within the first it's not even the first act. It's like the cold open of the Suicide Squad. Right. (laughs) It's like we're getting geared up, ready to go. They're all dead. And it's super gruesome. And I know what you're thinking. It wasn't particularly clean in this movie, but yeah. It was a wood chipper. I know. Tessa really needs to... <clears throat> I would like to start a what will most likely be short-lived podcast within a podcast. It's a podcast I like to call Tessa Should Really Watch the Original Coen Brothers Film Fargo. On this episode of Tessa Should Really Watch the Original Coen Brothers Film Fargo, Tessa, you should really watch Fargo. Wood chipper jokes hit different. This has been an episode of Tessa should really watch the Coen Brothers original film, Fargo. See, I always just think about Tucker and Dale versus evil when I think about wood chipper scenes and people. Which is super great because I don't know if it's Tucker or Dale. I don't really know which one's named which. Also shows up in this film. All right, let's talk Domino. Domino is awesome. Does anybody else have anything to say? <laughs> She's probably the best part of the movie, in my opinion. 100%. Then Peter. Okay. Th- then Peter. What do you yes. like about Domino, Jack? I think she brought a different level of fun to the movie. Like, obviously, there's fun previous to her showing up, but I think she brought much needed energy to the role and kind of like, comedy but also like seriousness i don't she was kind of like the fusion between deadpool's character and cable's character i what i liked about her especially because we've already talked about how women are not particularly well treated in this movie most of them don't seem to have very much of an interior life going on i mean we see a little bit of negasonic or yeah negasonic teenage warhead and her girlfriend yukio who of course is is a is a callback to the wolverine so that's that's fun but we don't really get to see much of them or their internal lives. And we don't really necessarily get to see much of Domino's internal life. But there is a real sense that she has one. And it's not, it's just, she's there for her own reasons, right? Like there's this sort of like, not distance of the character, but it's like, she's there, she's participating, she's helping out Deadpool and fighting Cable and all of this stuff, but it's for her own reasons and she has her own like motivations that we're just not privy to. And I think that they do a really good job of like, especially Zazie Beetz, who I think does a really wonderful job with this character. She really pulls that across. Like, yeah, I, I just love that that first scene when they meet her and she's explaining her powers and she, they're like, well, why are you here? And she's like, oh, I don't know why I'm here. I'll, I'll figure it out. You know, and I just, I really appreciated that aspect of the character. What did you think about her powers, Jack? I would be very happy to have that power. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to 
put on screen, I think, but I think they did a really good job. Yep. Like definitely like at first, like when she says that's her power, it was like I like Deadpool is like, okay. And then but I think they generally did a good job of depicting how lucky she is. Like she bends probability fields around her. That's the explanation we're given in the comics. I don't know if that's even like a thing, but that's what she does. So I, I think what you're telling me is that probability fields are X-Men speak for midichlorians. Would Domino be a Jedi? I'd see it. Domino and Ahsoka, best friends solving crimes. Did I just come up with the next billion dollar franchise? <laughs> I think I did. Eat your heart out, Patton Oswalt. Seriously, don't. You're a treasure. We love you. Okay, so this gets us to the big climactic ending. As Deadpool points out, we have to have an act three because things did not go just the way that they could have gone. So we get this, we get the big climactic ending. The plan fails. Deadpool finally gets his wish and dies. And he joins Vanessa. And and I know you know while you're watching it that that's it's not gonna go, he's not gonna go out like this. This is not how it ends. I submit to you a a thought experiment, if you will. Let's just say the credits rolled and Logan style, there were no post-credit scenes. How would you feel if this was actually the ending of the movie? No post-credit scenes? Nope. He's really dead. The last thing we see is he joined Vanessa in the afterlife. Roll credits. I think I wouldn't feel like it was believable for the world, the dead pool character and where they've been telling the story isn't that the good isn't that one of the best marks that you can give films you know because they rely on suspension of disbelief and this is just such a silly world this world of fox's mutants and yet you just said it's just totally not believable if they don't end it this way that's they've done something right in in the world building of this Deadpool franchise within a franchise that they did so poorly in the in the in the mothership franchise. Tessa, what do you think about this as an ending? A what if ending? I'm trying to figure out what why you're asking this question. Like, was this the original ending? Like oh. what okay. I mean, but this is pretty common though. I mean, like you have plenty of of books and movies that do this where they're like, "Oh yeah, the hero's really dead," and then they have some sort of like otherworldly experience and then they're not dead. So, I guess it would kind of make sense, I guess, except for Deadpool as a character doesn't die. Like that's the whole point of him as a character is that death refuses to take him because she's in love with him. It kind of makes sense to me that he keeps getting rejected by death. Of course, this is not how the film ends. Instead of a big climactic fail boat where Deadpool dies and joins Vanessa, we rewind through the power of time travel. The big climactic ending number two, success! Everybody lives, including Cable's wife and child, although unfortunately he's stranded. Dopinder finally realizes his dream of being a mercenary for hire killer and takes out the evil piece of sh- that was the headmaster roll credits. Can we talk about the fact that Dopinder really wants to be Kristen Dunst from Interview with a Vampire? Kirsten Dunst from Interview with a Vampire. He mentions it like five times in this movie. <laughs> I definitely enjoy, like, he's probably my favorite of the side characters. 
He's so good. I'm so glad he was back in this movie. I was gonna. So I was gonna ask Jack. So one of I was gonna ask Jack. One of the big things about the first movie that people were a little upset about is the way in which Deadpool's pansexuality isn't really explored. To counter that, in this movie, they made a lot of jokes about Deadpool getting together with various men, including Colossus. There's a lot of a lot of jokes about him and Colossus in this film. Do you think that this actually counts towards, like, them winking at it counts towards them talking about his pansexuality? Like, do they get credit for this here or what? I'd give them B minus B credit, not full credit, but definitely not no credit. Um, Since it is a Fox film, and I feel like, I mean, I feel like Fox films, even though they're putting out Deadpool, are going to, and they had some of the jokes like they did in the first one. I feel like they're still a little hesitant to touch that line. And so. Yeah, I mean, there's like a scene where they're in a cab together and he's telling Cable how like to have a prostate assisted orgasm. But they won't actually talk about like his ex-boyfriends or, you know, the fact that he's like attracted to men as well. So, yeah, I... I don't really know where this movie falls on that. I don't know if joking about it counts as representation. I mean, I don't want to be, obviously I'm bi and I don't want to be biphobic and say that him being with a woman means that he's not, you know, bi or pan or whatever. But it's also just like not a lot of them being able to talk about it. It seems like it seems like they want to get credit for it, but not actually do the work. If there is ever a third one, I will be curious if they touch that anymore i have a joke for you ryan reynolds i know we're not supposed to do this you're not supposed to read fanfic blah 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 but we'll totally pretend i never said this somebody should ask him about his sexuality in the third movie and he should say that's personal and then out of the corner of his eye he sees something so the actual line reads that's personal pan pizza (laughs) get it get it the jokes they write themselves on this podcast, which is really great because they're not good. So it's a good thing nobody put effort into them. That is, of course, not the ending either because there's more. Because Yukio, by the way, before we talk about the ending, we've really talked about most of the characters. Well, no, there are two we haven't talked about. Let's talk about Firefist for a minute. As portrayed by New Zealander, as portrayed by Aussie, not Aussie, Aussie, Julian Dennison. Do you care about Fire Fist? And if not, do you still care about his portrayal by a real-life person doing a job? I enjoyed his Fire Fist, and I thought I liked Ju- uh, Julian from Hunt for the Wilder People. And so when he was cast in this, I was very excited. And he brought some of the same humor he had in that movie to this role, which made me excited. That is about 200% more about him than I knew, so... Good times. Thank you. Tessa? I didn't really like all the fat jokes. They weren't like, no. they weren't as bad as I think this movie would have been like 10 years ago, but they still weren't great. I don't know why we have to talk about his weight at all in this film. It just didn't, again, this is an example of, we talked about this last time when it came to the one transphobic joke that's in the first movie. Like, does Deadpool get to punch at everybody? Is the point of him that he's an irreverent character? I think that I think that the answer to that is sure, but aren't there better jokes out there? Like that to me is kind of where I am with this particular character. But 
I did like him. I think he did a pretty good job of being sort of the quasi-villain. I think he sold us on his motivations for villainy. And, fun fact, the older version of him that we see in the very, very brief uh, flash forward, is it if, if you're flashing forward in time, is it a flash forward instead of a flashback? Yeah. Or is it a flashback because it's in Cable's history? Food for thought. Anyway, in the flash forward or flashback where we get to see him burning Cable's house, the actor who plays the older version of Fire Fist with the hood over his head is Sala Baker, who those of you who know about stunt doubles and voice work and stuff will recognize him as the voice of Sauron from Lord of the Rings. Interesting. I did not know that. The other new character uh, is also, in addition to Juggernaut, a recast. Shiori Kutsuna takes over for Rira Fukushima as Yukio, a teenaged, uh, a teenaged happier take, I guess, on uh, on Yukio than we saw in the Wolverine. Do do we like her? Do we enjoy her? Do we enjoy Yukio? I think she's delightful. She is very delightful. I know that this is like a different timeline of Yukio because of the recast and because of Days of Future Past and the fact that she's younger in this movie than she is in the Wolverine. But I also at the same time have this like headcanon where she traveled with Wolverine for a while and then like they went to the X mansion and she met Negasonic Teenage Warhead and they fell in love and like that's what happened. Like that that's my own personal like headcanon of this character. I'd watch it. Yep. I just want to say I love Negasonic Teenage Warhead. I love this character. I she needs I said this already. I'm going to say it again. She needs to be brought over. This character needs to ride again. I need it. She's so great. Um Is she better with hair? I mean, I got to say I think Wade's right. I think it's a little Bieber, but but she makes it work. By the way, Yukio is super good with technology because she fixes the time slider. Does she give it back to Cable so he can go home? No, she gives it to Deadpool for time travel hijinks. Deadpool does the following. He saves Vanessa and Cher. That's right, he saves Cher because Cher is the unborn baby. He tells us. We're definitely going to name the kids Cher. So that's a twofer right there. She just handed him the IUD like 10 seconds before. There's no baby yet. I have. Okay, listen, we're not going to get into this, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to say two, two words. I'm going to say two words. Maximum effort. (laughs) She is super pregnant. (laughs) Deadpool goes back to save Vanessa. Deadpool goes back to save Peter. Just to be clear, not Bedlam, not Shatterstar, who was kind of a dick, not Zeitgeist, not the Vanisher. Probably couldn't find him anyway. But Peter. (laughs) And then he goes back to kill Deadpool. But not this Deadpool. The Deadpool from a timeline that no longer exists, which is how we know we're doing meta quantum. And then he goes back to kill Ryan Reynolds, which raises a question. If he kills if he goes back to kill Ryan Reynolds at the time that he's thinking about being in Green Lantern, does that mean Juggernaut no longer exists in this movie? Something to ponder. Is he still married to Blake Lively? Are they still friends with Taylor Swift? Ooh, how has Taylor Swift's career been impacted by Deadpool's choices? Man. And finally, speaking of 
possibilities and considerations, the film ends, depending on which version you watch, with Deadpool considering whether or not he should kill baby Hitler. And Deadpool is of the mind that you should definitely kill baby Hitler given the opportunity, and so he's going to do it. But it turns out, killing a baby is hard. The end. That's, that's really the end of the movie. I don't... It, it's fine. Two things. First of all, he not only kills the X-Men Origins Wolverine version of Deadpool, he also invites Hugh Jackman to be in Deadpool 3. Oh, that's right. Which... As I've mentioned before, Hugh Jackman has said the only reason he would ever reprise the character is for a Deadpool movie, for a Deadpool-Wolverine team-up. Take that for what you will. The other thing, too, speaking of Taylor Swift in this movie, is that Deadpool at one point is wearing a Taylor Swift shirt. When he is in the uh, X-Mansion, he's wearing a shirt with both of Taylor Swift's, at the time, both of Taylor Swift's cats, uh, Olivia and Meredith. She didn't have Benji yet. Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively are close personal friends with Taylor Swift. Well, Tessa, I mean, it's okay that Benji wasn't, or Benjamin wasn't in this movie because Benjamin Button was. <laughs> hey. There you go. All right. Jack, how did you feel about the jokes, these jokes that Deadpool's got at the end, these time travel jokes? I had a lot of fun with them. The I'm trying to think of which one was my favorite probably the green uh green lantern one just because i i could probably have guessed that a version of wolverine was going to show up but i don't think i would have expected to see ryan reynolds kill himself yeah that was pretty good before we move on to our 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 last segments here parting thoughts on deadpool 2 jack you you said at the top that you liked it it was good what else can we add i don't know if it's like it's not my favorite movie ever, but it was definitely fun. The first time I saw it, I had fun this time. Uh, obviously, we talked about the fridging aspect, uh, which I don't. I think we can all agree none of us liked. But I think there's lots of fun cameos in this movie, including Matt Damon at, credited as Dickie Greenleaf. Um, and I think I definitely see Deadpool 3 if it ever happens. But only if it's R-rated. I don't want a PG-13 Deadpool. Yes, absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. Deadpool is an R-rated superhero. You can't, you can't take that aspect out. It's not Deadpool anymore if, if you don't have that as like one of the driving forces. Plus, I don't, I don't want to see a tamer version of Cable. Like Nobody wants that. I, I do have a question for you, Sam. I asked you this when we, were wa- when we watched the first movie. You said the first movie is a romantic comedy. Is this movie, as Deadpool tells us at the beginning and of the the movie, is this a family comedy? Does it follow the rules of a family comedy in the same way as the first movie followed the rules of a romantic comedy genre film? Ohana means family. (laughs) Time for some astonishing facts. As I said before, Tim Miller exited the film due to creative differences with Ryan Reynolds. That is the official version. It sounds like, I I mentioned the Kyle Chandler thing earlier, but Tim Miller had a definite vision for this movie. Ryan Reynolds did not share it. And we'll get to that in a minute. Of course, David Letch is the replacement. And what a replacement he is. He is the uncredited co-director of John Wick. He is the director of Atomic Blonde. He is the director of Hobbs and Shaw, which just proves 
back to Jim Steinman. Don't be sad because two out of three ain't bad. Now, as far as what Tim Miller would have done, Tim Miller had permission to get Chris Evans to reprise his role as the Human Torch. Really? Really? Well, I guess I'm overselling here. We don't know that they had Chris Evans, but they did have the Human Torch character. They also were going they were going to have because who do you want when you have a dude who's made of fire and a dude who's a giant rock like person? to fight them other than a dude made of fire and a rock-like person. They were going to have the Human Torch and the Thing. That was Tim Miller's early script idea. Vanessa was not to die. We would have had Copycat. Really? Really, it really just sounds like a better movie, doesn't it? Oh, Tessa has something to say. Surprise, surprise, surprise. I have been waiting for Vanessa to turn out to be Copycat for two movies now. At some point, they're going to have to make her copycat and stop having her as a side character. Dark Phoenix was shot at the same time as this movie. And so, as a favor, they shot that brief scene while they were shooting Dark Phoenix. I guess Ryan Reynolds is too much of a diva to return the favor. A. Matt Damon and Alan Tudyk as the rednecks. You remember the scene in Terminator when the Terminator comes down? And he, like, beats up the punk people and steals their truck. That's what this is, right? Right, yeah. Okay. Julian Dennison, a youth from New Zealand, could not see the film in New Zealand because he was too young to see their equivalent of a rated R film. Tessa mentioned earlier that this is an Essex thing. This is a Mr. Sinister. And they keep teasing it, and it's never going to happen. So I must ask the question that all Marvel movie fans must at some point ask, is Mr. Sinister Mephisto, Tessa? Those are two different characters. Stop trying to make Mephisto happen. In 2018, we found out that X-Force and Deadpool 3 had been greenlit by Fox. In 2019, upon its acquisition by Disney, those films were red-lit. I guess that's a phrase. In December 19, it came to pass, however, Deadpool 3 lives. Deadpool will be part of the MCU. And Jack... I have good news for you. Kevin Feige has since confirmed Deadpool 3 will be rated R for Ridiculous. I'll believe it when I see it. That's fair. You ready for some uncanny stats, Tessa? Let's do it. Are you, are you stoked for stats? Budget for this film was $110 million. That's a lot of money. Much more you, than the first movie. Which was budgeted at $58 million. Logan was budgeted at 97 So this is the biggest budgeted of the three movies. Opening weekend, it made $125.5 million, which as you know is slightly less than Deadpool's 132 But it's still... But Ryan Reynolds still ate huge Ackman's lunch because Logan only made 88.4. Total box office is $735 million, which is a good number by any account, but it is not as good as Deadpool's $782 million, which means Deadpool 2 had a lower return on investment. Although really, when you make this much money, why are you complaining? I know, because Fox released crappy movies. That's why they don't exist anymore. This movie did, of course, make more than Logan at $619 million. Top five 
at the box office the weekend of Deadpool. I've already told you about one and two. Josh Brolin and Josh Brolin. But I gotta tell you, three, four, and five are legit movies I have never heard of before. At number three, we have Book Club. At number four, we have Life of the Party. And at number five, we have Breaking In. Anybody? Any of those? Book Club is about older women who read Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh-huh. Was it I have good? not seen it. I don't I've not seen it. I have I never heard of any of these films, so Yep. It's like women, they're like sixties and seventies reading like Jane Fonda and people of that ilk reading Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't know. It sounds like Grace and Frankie to me. And finally, time for our all new, all different segment in which Tessa tells us about something we should read, watch, or experience from the wide world of Wolverine and Friends. Surprise, surprise, I'm going to tell you to read Cable and Deadpool, which was a 50-issue series from 2004 to 2008. It involves Cable and Deadpool teaming up on several occasions. There's a crossover or crossover tie-in to the Civil War storyline that happened around that time as well that's pretty good. But if you're looking for specific storylines to look at, if you don't want to read 50 issues, although we all know 50 issues actually isn't a lot when it comes to comics, I would suggest starting with issues one through six, If Looks Could Kill. I would also suggest reading Enema of the State and Why When I Was Your Age. Those storylines story are probably the best of that 50. All right, that's it for this episode of 13 Days of X-Men, but we'll be back tomorrow to discuss the only thing more dangerous and destructive than Dark Phoenix. That's right. We're talking about the seventh film in the main Fox X-Men series, Dark Phoenix. Get it? The movie Dark Phoenix is more destructive than Jean Grey is Dark Phoenix? I, I get it. You get the joke? I okay, get it. Okay, okay. Watch along with us. Tweet at us. Email us. Let us know all your miraculous mutant thoughts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. And visit our website. You guessed it monkeyoffmybacklog.com Jack, where can folks find you on the internets? You can find me at Letterbox at Jack Loves Cinema and Twitter at Jack Tweets Life. Be sure to send Jack all your Celine Dion related thoughts. Yes. Yes. Our theme song is Jingle Bells by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com you can find Tessa on Twitter at Suela Tessa, and you can find me on Twitter at same underscore Morris9. Our theme song is Jingle Bells by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. <gasps> Happy holidays, and get that monkey off your back, bub. <laughs>